Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. I'm Jeff Ludington, the lead pastor at Generations Church, and we are in the middle of our Questions from the Classroom series. Now, most of these came right out of me teaching high school Bible at a Christian high school. But we opened that up and we started taking questions from our listeners, from all of you who listen. And recently, uh, just a few months ago, I received a question from a friend asked about what is Torah-observant Christianity? Now, I'm going to guess that 99% of you listening to this have never heard of that. And that's why it's taken a few months to get around to this. I knew what it was. I didn't have a lot of exposure or experience in it. But it just so happens I have a friend who's got a lot of exposure to it. And so I want to, if you're new to this or if you've been around for a while, I want to reintroduce you to a friend of mine. Here's a blast from the past. Our second podcast co-host with me, Scotty Hines. Scott, welcome, dude. What's up, brother? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, man. It's definitely been a long time. Yeah, well, we got to wait a second because a few people that know you just like fell over in their chair listening like, what did he just say? <laughs> well, if they fell over, I hope it's because they, they missed my charm. And uh, that, that's But un- unfortunately, it's probably they missed my beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about Claudia in a minute. But yeah, man, welcome back. And so let me introduce this today. Uh, today, unlike normal, I'm not going to do a whole lot of talking. And what I'm going to do is interview Scott. And if you're unfamiliar with who Scott is, uh, he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for many years. We have part of Park Church and Generations Church together. He was a pastor uh, with us. And uh, he, over the last couple of years, journeyed into Torah-observant Christianity. And I'm going to have him define that. And then I'm just going to interview him and his exposure to it. So I'm not going to necessarily agree or disagree with anything he says. I'm also not going to uh, push back or say I agree or disagree. I'm just going to ask him questions. And at the end, I'll give you a little summary thought of what I'm taking away from this. Um, But let me begin with this. And so, uh, Scott, would you define for us what is Torah-observant Christianity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll do my best, brother. Let me first preface a few things as well. I want to just say my goal and sharing all what I've experienced in just kind of the past two years of my journey is to help the listeners have a lens into which uh, Torah folks would see Scripture, uh, a lens into which way I'm looking in Scripture as to, you know, uh, the way Jeff would look into Scripture. And so that's kind of my goal when I'm sharing these things. I definitely don't represent the entire Torah community. Uh, it sure. would be the exam- It'd be the equivalent to me saying I represent all of uh, Christianity if I were to speak on you know, a right. particular gift or whatnot. Um, so I just want to make sure that's clear and that that, that our goal is to, um, you know, bring clarity on the topic as much as possible in what I've learned. So perfect. So, preferencing with that, uh, the question you said is, uh, I apologize, brother. Just summarize, oh, if yes. you would, Torah observant Christianity. For those who don't know, Torah is what? Okay, so the word Torah is just a fancy word that just means law, God's law. Oh. Uh, essentially, that's it. And uh, Christians or Torah-observant followers, some of them wouldn't even want to call themselves Christians, but Torah-observant Christians slash followers, it's essentially it's a way of using God's law um, and making it relevant, like physically relevant, and worship, and, you know, drawing near to the Father through God's Torah, God's law. Does that, okay. make, does that make sense? So it does. So 
is now so here's what I would say for those who are listening. So when people think of God's law, they may think of like the Ten Commandments, or they may think of maybe Leviticus or Deuteronomy, all those rules. And so how does that apply to a Torah observant Christian? Oh, that's a good question. So um what uh, I'm going to speak for a larger group of them, the more the Messianic, the, um, mm-hmm. they're going to try to apply all the Levitical structures as much as they can apply those structures without being in the land and without being uh, without a temple. Kind of like think of Daniel. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Daniel's a, a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was, you know, Israel was taken by the Babylon's, Babylonian nation and uh, how did he observe Torah when he was in Babylon? And, they, you know, and they would liken America or the world which we live in to Babylon. And so kind of in the same context, we're not accountable to the entire Torah, but uh, we're accountable to the, to the, you know, whatever we can apply. And Okay, so, so that's fair. And I, I think that's a good example. So Daniel, exiled from Israel, exiled from Jerusalem, living in Babylon, couldn't go to temple because they didn't have a temple. So how could he best live out the Old Testament laws and regulations, things like that? How could he live that out in his life? So you're saying modern-day Torah-observant Christians try and live out those things the best they can, wherever they live. Like for you in Arkansas, that's how you can live it out best. Yeah, that's how they try. So they, they yes, they, okay. they still wear seats. a lot of them. Zitzitz are, it's, it's a passage in Scripture where it talks about you wear this thread with the blue strand in yeah. it, and, and it's, it shows others that you, you know, um, you're a follower of Yahweh. They like to say the name as well. It's it's that's yep. a part that people can really divide over is how to say his name. Um, don't want to go down that road. I just these are things, sure. but these are things that are important to them. Um, and a lot of times, if you just if you just kind of hear it, it can sound like it's works for salvation. But again, their understanding it's I'm showing you my my faith, my salvation by my works. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Now. Let's, sh- let's shift over to explicit use. So you just gave a, and I'm going to use the word generic, but I mean it in a good sense, like a, a broad overview of what, you know, common Torah-observant Christianity is. Now, specifically to you, what caused you to kind of make that shift or want to spend time inside of a Torah-observant community? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I didn't even know I was walking into a Torah-observant community, but, but regardless, what led me there was uh, the Gospel of Matthew, just doing my, my, my reading, and um, he says that he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. So that right there, I just it was the first time, because I've always, was you kind of given a lens when you read Scripture at times, especially you come to faith, you're just automatically told what X, Y, and Z means, and so mm-hmm. my lens just changed on that, like, what does Jesus actually mean by this? And so I kind of just, you know, sat with that question a little bit, and then he, and he follows up, in that same passage, and he says that those who want to be great in the kingdom will teach others to observe his law, and those who want to be the least in the kingdom will teach others, you know, not to. And it, and it kind of just kind of had a domino effect. Um, you go into the book of First John. It says, "What is sin? Sin is not, you know, sin is breaking God's law." And I was like, "Wow, it's a New Testament author, and he's talking about sin is breaking law." And then you start seeing the word lawlessness in Scripture, and like, wait, so lawlessness isn't societal lawlessness per se, societal lawlessness usually is a breaking of the Ten Commandments, so it kind of goes with it, but when I, what I started to see in Scripture is lawlessness meant an abandoning and a, you know, a distorting of God's law. And um, If I could give, can I, can I break in and give, I hate to interrupt you because you're on a roll, but so a Christ, uh, an American Christian 
lawlessness, when they read that, it would not be murder because, you know, California state law or federal state law, whatever says do not murder. It would be, I'm guilty of breaking the law of God, that kind of lawlessness versus societal, like you said. Is that accurate? Yes, yes. And there's really only one law. If, if we're going to be honest, and I know we're going to lead into this, um, it's, it just naturally goes this route. But the one law that's really in question, if we're going to be honest, it's the Sabbath. It's really okay. the Sabbath. And, um, that's the one law. So let me back out yeah. of that. So what you're saying is for Torah-observant Christians— the place that really is significantly different is Sabbath? Is that what you're saying? Like, I mean, because we all agree, like, the Ten Commandments are all things we should obey. So we all agree on that, or we should all agree on that, I hope. Exactly. Um, but what you're saying is, like, Sabbath. Well, yeah, because okay. if, you take, if you take all ten of them, just, just remove the Sabbath. That's the only one we disregard, if you think about it. And, and right. Christians, and I understand so why, we, we have this generic, uh, well, Jesus is my Sabbath kind of response. Um, and... <clears throat> But the other nine, I mean, let's be honest. No one wants to be committing adultery. Nobody should be lying. Nobody should be stealing. Nobody should be murdering. We all should honor our mothers and fathers. You know, those are all good things. And so typically if, you know, if you're breaking a, uh, you know, California or the country is not going to make murder legal. So we're not going to probably have an issue with uh, that commandment. Does that make sense? Does it help you see? Because we're we're essentially, if you clarify this, and like I said, my goal in this is to put a lens. And if I'm going to be a good teacher of Scripture, my, my goal is to at least give you a lens, if you disagree with me, to what we're discussing here. And really, it comes down to just the Sabbath, and they would call it the Shabbat. So if you hear me say Shabbat, it's okay. out of muscle memory, but it just means Sabbath. Okay. Please don't. It's not a special word at all. <laughs> okay, so when I hear that, and I, I want to say something, you tell me if it's true or not, and then I also have a question. And so when I hear that, Shabbat to me, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, Sounds like a, um, a uh, what do I want to say, like a strict adherence either to like sundown Friday to sundown Saturday or a strict adherence to all day Saturday, however they practice it. But it would not be like you get to choose your own Sabbath. It's a pretty strict adherence to it. Is that accurate? Yes, it's the seventh day. Okay. And then the other thing is beyond the law, do Torah observant Christians, do they also kind of like keep the the feast of festivals like Passover? Do they actually do Passover, Feast of Booze, things like that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. They, okay. It's a big part. Um, it's a big p- So expand on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. So so you have in Leviticus chapter 23, and this is something good, and I, and I hopefully I can cause a part two because I'd love to discuss with you and Vinny and whatnot. And, uh, but in Leviticus chapter 3, God lays out, and at this point, for those of you who don't know, at this point, Israel, the nation, okay, don't get caught up in the nation, please, Israel, the nation, is not in covenant with the Father yet. Moses has led them out, uh, but they have not gone into covenant. And the Father gives seven feasts, and he calls them his feasts. Technically, he gives eight because he says the Sabbath, and then he lists seven right. feasts. It's Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost. Uh, then it goes to um, Trumpets, Atonement, and then Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. uh, Feast of Weeks. It has a few names. And so, um, <clears throat> anyhow, they they definitely try to uphold those to the best they can. Now, most of them, I learned this, and this is a, this does not represent all Torah folks. So, so those of you hearing this, a very small or a, a, a sect in the group, I don't know how big it is in, in regards to the entire movement, they want to bring the actual offering and sacrificial system back. But for the most part, and what I, yeah, huh. I know, but for the most part, and what I fellowshiped over the last year 
was we kept them spiritually. We physically camped, like for Sukkot, we physically camped for eight days, and that's a blast. Uh, we could we could talk. We, that is just okay. a blast. Talk about go read all the instructions. It's actually huh, reformers should love it. It's actually a feast yeah. where God re, God actually says, "Hey, buy some alcohol and have a good time." <laughs> that's now that's Scott's. <laughs> so that's, that's for another Scott's day. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Records. So uh, don't don't use that as God said I can go party and get drunk. Right. Uh, biblically, wine and strong drink has a has a um, an allegorical joyous context and so that's what the father's leading into but but yeah so yeah. they practice all seven to the best of they can most of them try to keep what should be physical about them okay and then spiritualize like for instance passover's coming up um you know a lot of them are going to gather and they're going to have lamb and they're going to have bitter herbs and in, they're gonna okay. kind of, but nobody's eating in haste. Some people get sure. real into it, and some do try to slaughter a lamb on the day of, and they do the blood thing. And that it, again, it's a lot of it is more for the the actual just experience. They don't think they're being saved by it. At least the one the brothers that I run with don't. And actually, I know none of them okay. that actually slaughter any animals for any of the sacrifices. They just try to observe them. So, um, and that's fun. Well, that's good. Now, PETA is not going to show up at your door, so that's good. Well, hopefully they would have been a shock Sunday because I already <laughs> processed my RAM. <laughs> but uh, yep. So let me ask you this real quick. Like, How did this impact Claudia and your kids? You've got a son and a daughter and a wife. And, and how did this, you know, like positively or negatively, how did this affect them, the, these changes? Oh, yeah. So um, first, really quick, though, about the feast. Uh, it's, something that, uh -huh. it's something really good to uh, look at. Again, I'm not promoting any of this in the sal salific or, you know, way to be saved, but it's a good right. read, and you can kind of see, for anything, you can kind of see the heart of the Father, God, uh, towards his people and what he requires of him. And that's one thing that we could take out as Christians is like, man, we could see his heart in, in what he prescribed for his people. And and you have said, and when you kind of take the seven festivals, Jeff, they're beautiful in this regard. <clears throat> um, Passover starts off your new year. And what a beautiful way mm -hmm. to acknowledge the work of Jesus Christ in your life. Day one of the new year is you're, rep, you're acknowledging the true Passover in Jesus Christ. And then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is another seven days. And it's where you remove the leaven. And leaven in Scripture represents sin. Jesus says, beware of the leaven sure. of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is essentially hypocrisy. Uh, Paul says, keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread without malice and deceit. So you kind of take that and say, okay, here's the heart of this festival. So now we start off our year acknowledging Christ, and we're acknowledging what is our hypocrisy? What leaven are we carrying in our heart? What hypocrisy do I have in Scripture that I should deal with? And then you have first fruits. It's that beauty. I'm, I've been renewed. Let me set my mind on things above. And then Pentecost comes, you know, 40 days later, and it's like, man, you're reminded of the covenant, the spirit, the work of Messiah, you know, Jesus in your life and whatnot. And then you're humbled. At the end of the year, you have the Feast of Trumpets. You know that the Lord, you remind mm -hmm. yourself he's returning. And then you have atonement. And you want to humble yourself because we will be judged. Um, and now, fortunately for us, we're right. judged with the blood of Christ and your works, you know, which is, you know, wood, hay, and stubble, our precious jewels. And, and so our judgment should be something we anticipate with humility, but anticipating the blood of Christ covering us. And then you have Sukkot, where it's, you know, John 1.1, 1, 1, he, he became flesh and dwelt with us. And, and we can anticipate one day being resurrected and dwelling with him. And so they are good when you kind of can spiritualize them, and I think they can have a phenomenal impact on any believer. And then you can kind of, uh, instead of having a, you know, you can have almost like a biblical new year. So, and I, and I sure. wanted to share that because it impacted my family in a specific way. Um, it impacted us that, that we really feel, now we don't, 
again, I wouldn't call myself uh, part, 100% part of the Torah community. I've taken a lot of values from them. Like, for instance, learning about the festivals. Sure. I enjoy keeping them. I plan on going camping uh, with friends, and nothing wrong with that. I, it definitely doesn't draw me closer to the Father. It definitely doesn't bring any form of salvation, but um, worshiping with my brothers and sisters is a beautiful thing. Right. And so... Let me just jump in real quick. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, like kind of feel lost, so the Feast of Booze or Feast of Tabernacles is a feast where eight days they will, they will literally go camping. So later in Israel, once they had homes established, they would move outside their homes and they would literally camp. They would set up a tent and it would remind them of the time where God cared for their, their ancestors, their people in the wandering through the desert. And so when Scott says, I'm going to go camping, like that's where you start. So like Feast of Booze. So what you're saying is you found a beauty in not only um, observing them, but learning about them and kind of how they point you to yeah, Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And amen. Pointing okay. me to Christ. And that's where it really put my family on a solid trajectory. Because now we kind of like, you kind of got a, a structure. And this is how I use them. Um, I use them as a structure just to guide my family. You know, um, like, for, uh, you okay. know, my wife and I, we've got some pretty cool things going on in our lives. And uh, like adoption and whatnot, and it's all going to happen around the biblical new year. It just kind of helps, you know, hit a reset. And God valued okay. this, so I should value it in some form. So I acknowledge it and I, and I look to it. And so it's really helped my family and I. I would say this: here's here's probably the biggest impact. It really helped me uh, prioritize my home and realize that that this lifestyle I'm living, not Torah, a biblical lifestyle that I want to live in the world and not of the world. It really needs to have a structure in my home. Like, I mean, prior, and okay. I know we all say that, but, but if we're real honest, a lot of our structures are, they're about work and, and it's about providing. And, and I sure. get that. Yeah. A lot of us are, you know, we have bills to pay, but I really feel when you start to say, Lord, I want to, I want to put this as my structure. You start to prioritize things. Well, let me not get into debt. Let me not get into this because I'm more free to observe his calendar and his ways and I believe it sets you apart from the world because you're functioning on a different, I would say, metrodome. You're functioning on a different clock slash calendar than mm-hmm. the world. And I think it just helps you, reminds you that you are you're sanctified and you're separate from the world. You're in it and not of it. And you're a pilgrim. And so I think there's a... And it, so it's really That's put cool. my family on mission. Um, the problem, though... Well, you're actually going to say what I... Well, let me ask, yeah. let me ask that because just, do on, just because of time. So... You've said a lot of things you like about it. So what did you not like? Because you're not 100% that. You're not fully doing that. So what did you find that you didn't see as biblical or, you know, you didn't want to keep it? over-prioritizing of the Sabbath. It, 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 mm. I really believe there's, it's, it's almost, it's your priority. And it's, it's very, man, it's just, yeah, like, like the Sabbath is everything. Like, for instance, if you sit down with someone who, who tries to keep the Sabbath and for those who don't know, don't think Jewish or Seventh-day Adventist. Jewish theology can definitely have an influence on some parts, and, and that's the one where I push back the strongest because, I mean, it was very Sabbath-oriented. I mean, Sabbath is the great day. Okay. It's just like, well, no, Sabbath was made for me, you know, not me for the Sabbath. And so there's Jesus doesn't—that doctrine does not line up with the doctrine of Christ, which mm-hmm. is our most important doctrine is what did Jesus teach about this? And he did not teach that. He taught it was for us. It's a gift. So what I don't like is it prioritizes something other than Jesus Christ, which I do not like. Hmm. Um, That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, and I I think that's scary. I I just think that's a scary place to put yourself, personally. 
So is that what ultimately led you out of kind of identifying as a Torah yeah, observant and, and Yeah, that and, and to be honest with you, brother, you think, so when you're trying to go, you know, you, you kind of start chewing on some new theology, you just wanting more out of Scripture, like, oh, I just want to draw more. But but your, your flesh rises up. You're like, well, this community has it or this church. And we all do it. We know people who go church to church. And so there was this thought, there was this thought sure. of like, oh, this community is going to be it. But what I really learned is, man, they got the same divisions that the Protestants have. They have the same, it, it's just, it's the same dance to a different tune. And, and I said, and it's just, you know, okay. we're all, we're all in this together. Like I found a lot of value out of the Sabbath. I, I see a lot of a value in acknowledging a day of rest. And, and I personally, you know, I'm going to say it's the seventh day. Um, that's because what scripture says, sure. and Jesus does never stands up and changes it. So I, I, I have no, no, right. but then I, I don't, but me saying that I do believe we can worship on Sunday. I, I would love to, uh, wor- I love worshiping on Sunday. Um, I have no problem with it at all. I mean, it's very biblical. Sure. It's, it's, it's historical and biblical. The Sabbath is a family day. It doesn't necessarily have to be a day of worship, corporate. But, um, okay. yeah, I just say there's, there's an over-prioritizing of it and an under-prioritizing of people. There's a sense of, gosh, I want to say this. Man, I just don't want to be offensive to anyone. Uh, um, I got you. Okay, let me say it like this. They're almost... By default, because they're trying to keep this calendar and keep all these feasts, they kind of exclude themselves from the world. And they almost Amish, but not Amish. It's like Amish, but not living in the same community. Because one one thing I was trying to push back on them is like, I see the value of having this Amish mindset. Like, we're we're a special community or a a particular community. Not special, like they're better than you guys or whoever's hearing this. They just feel like they're particular. And... um, Sure. But I said, you have to figure out a way to let the world in. Like, I mean, I, I've seen people melt like, hey, someone told me Mary. And they, they do not like any of, like, Christmas, Easter. They're very much against those. And I was for a minute. I wouldn't say I accept them all together, but you damn right. Hey, brother, if I'm in California in December, which I plan on being, I am going to be celebrating Christmas with my family. I, I love my family, <laughs> and I'm not going to divide over these things because, uh, again, I don't want to promote anything pagan, but... Dude, Christmas is beautiful. Christmas is beautiful. Sure, I got dude. You. We got people coming from the east worshiping the Messiah at his birth. I'm not into the consumerist portion, but there's a sense of like that's pagan. And so it's like if someone says Merry Christmas, like they freeze up. I'm like, dude, they're just it's just a person trying to bless you. And I try to use the, the passage like the world's condemned already. Like if we have these truths, if we see right. this special truth that the church doesn't even see in this in this particular day, the Sabbath and these festivals, and, and we see all this specialty that the church doesn't see, well, we better be more ready to lift up a prostitute when the religious folks throw her around commanding her to be stoned. Because your eyes are that open, my friend, you better humble yourself because you have a lot of accountability. And, and that's one part that really draws me away from them is just an, a fear of the world. Like, I mean, a dread of the world to where, like, I can't let my my, my, my kids hear this. And it's just like, no, just don't promote it. Like, the Bible says don't be a drunkard. Don't be a drunkard. It's okay to have a glass of wine. Just don't be a drunkard. Like, and um, sure. I think that's probably the biggest thing. You know me, brother. You just, I am, I reach out naturally. And and I can't, yeah. I cannot be an isolated community. I have to be a community that's in the world and not of it. And it's what pushed me out. Like, no, I, I want to go have Bible studies with my my Christian folk. And then that was another thing too. You know, they there's we had some Christians show up. Me trying to be, you know, Mister Evangelism, and I got some Christians show up, and 
they just felt like, dude, we felt judged. It's like, man, I broke my heart. You know, because they celebrate Christmas mm. and they celebrate this. And and I said, no, there, there's got to be sure. a bridge. But but anyhow, I, I hope I answered the last one, what I'm taking away from it, because I think um, – because I think the best yeah, thing did. that we could do is put a lens on and understand where they're coming from. It's a group of people who feel they draw near to the Lord through these particular works. And I want to give this example. And again, I'm not making an argument for them. I'm trying to help the listeners have a lens to understand them. Um, now, uh, my example is, Jeff, we're both married. So let's say you go home and you read the word to your, your wife and you pray with your wife. And you, you're, you're very adamant about doing those things. And I don't. I do none of those things. Who's probably going to have a little bit more of a spiritual marriage or, or honestly, probably a deeper marriage. And I, that's, sure, that's the way fair. I believe we should look at the scriptures. Uh, if you're going to start looking at them, that's the best application you can have. It's going to deepen your relationship personally, but that deepening is going to make you more accountable, which is all what all theology should do. It should only just make you more accountable to the father. And um, which being accountable right. means you need to be loving to your neighbor. And so, um, you know, that's that's their heart. That's I good, think. And, and sometimes it's not expressed properly. And I think that's all of our hearts. If we're all really trying to be honest with ourselves and trying to learn, it's just we're dude, we're trying to draw closer to the Father. We have lenses. We all disagree on certain things. And at the end of the day, I, I, and again, this doesn't mean we should just say, "Hey, all the morality in Scripture needs to just go by the wayside." No, I'm not at, at all making a justification for sins. But I think ultimately, all God's word. All God's law, uh, all Jesus' commandments, they're to keep you accountable. And when you're accountable and you find yourself being convicted of Scripture, well, guess what? You're going to become humbled. And like it says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, theirs is the kingdom. When you're poor in spirit because you're humbled by God, let me tell you something. A poor man has nothing to offer than what a rich man has given him. And we've been given grace and mercy. And so I really believe huh. the more we grow in our theology, the more grace and mercy we need to be showing to people, not justifying their sins, but grace and mercy. And learn to be religious to yourself and not your neighbor. That would be kind of my take on the totality of Scripture. Thank you, brother. I like that, man. Well, I'm going to jump in here, and uh, we ran a little long today, and that's okay. I wanted to do this, and I, and I knew we would. Um, I'm going to give some kind of hot take, uh, if you will, quick response stuff. And, and so my takeaway uh, from Torah-observant Christianity, from what I've known in the past and uh, my conversations with with Scott about it, is honestly what I hear in a positive sense is a way to embrace all of Scripture, uh, where much of Christianity today is siloed into the New Testament. Torah-observant Christians have leaned back into the first two-thirds of the Bible and tried to reconcile all of Scripture together. Um, I think they do a great job at an area where Christianity is super weak, and that is leaning into the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath exists from creation forward. When man is created, the first thing that man is given is the next day, which is a day of not just rest, but rest in his faith, in his relationship with God. And so Christians are pretty terrible at that, and oftentimes modern-day American Christians are not very fluent in the Old Testament. And so I think those are two really good things that we could learn from Torah-observant Christianity. Uh, for me, I'll give you one critique. One is that I, I see Torah-observant Christianity as far too legalistic for me. I think that there is a letter of the law, spirit of the law, embracing, um, but sometimes not understanding how 
uh, how we do that differently in Christ. And I, and I don't think this necessarily reflects what Scott told us today, um, but when it comes down to observance of ceremony or even, uh, as Scott did say, kind of the rejection of Christmas, I think there's too, too much legalism in some of it, and that could be a conversation for a different day. But I want to leave us with this one thought, and this is true, whether we're talking about you know, Reformed Christianity, where I'm at, or Methodist Christians, or, uh, you know, Messianic or Torah-observant Christians. Um, I think Christians in general need to learn how to learn and grow with one another, learn from one another, because I think there's pieces of this that Torah-observant Christians can offer other Protestant Christians, and I think that there's something Protestant Christians can offer Torah-observant Christians, and, and we don't do well with, you know, playing nice with one another. We argue and divide. And so what you've heard today is one man's journey into it, uh, a friend of mine, a friend of many of yours who listen to this, uh, as he moved into this and then kind of found what he was going to find from it and moved back out of it, uh, but not completely out, but have grown from it, um, maybe we can do the same thing. Maybe we can look at other forms of Christianity, orthodoxy, uh, you know, Torah observant, whatever it might be, and we should grow from it. It doesn't mean we have to buy into all of it, but it also doesn't mean that we write off all of it when we hear about it. And so thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you have questions, by all means, email us at questions at generations.email. And if you like what you've heard today, share it with your friends. Let them hear what you hear. And may we be a blessing to you. Mm-hmm.